and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd bear the pain of Borreliosis if you infected me with the idea that you missed this week's show. The Chronicle of Philanthropy will go non-profit. The Chronicle is taking a bold step from privately held to non-profit. Why? What does that mean for journalism that covers our community locally and nationally? What can you expect for webinars and professional development? Editor Stacy Palmer answers all the questions. On Tony's Take Two, this is show number 597. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Fourth Dimension Technologies, IT Infra in a Box, the affordable tech solution for nonprofits. Tony.ma slash 4D, just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. Here is the Chronicle of Philanthropy will go nonprofit. It's my pleasure to welcome back Stacy Palmer to Nonprofit Radio. She is editor at the Chronicle of Philanthropy. She's been editor since the Chronicle's founding in 1988. Stacy, welcome back to Nonprofit Radio. Delighted to be with you again. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I want to disclose to listeners that uh, I was a podcast publisher for the Chronicle of Philanthropy for about four years. I published their uh, Fundraising Fundamentals podcast. So, Stacey, uh, early May, you, uh, you had a, uh, a little announcement, a little, a little thing. You leaked something out. Uh, about the Chronicle uh, going nonprofit. So what's this, uh, what's this little bit of news about? Thank you for asking about that. So we're very excited about the fact that we've been working on a growth plan. Um, and one of the things that we realized we wanted to do more of is to influence how nonprofits are covered by the mainstream media. And so we are doubling down on a lot of the work we do to help nonprofit professionals, but also expanding our mission to do even more to make sure that other journalists are paying attention to nonprofits and foundations and giving them really the attention that they deserve. Um, so our mission is growing and our staff is growing. Um, and as a result of that, we decided that it was time for us to move out of the organization that now houses us, which is the Chronicle of Higher Education. We're going to go independent. And part of going independent is deciding that a nonprofit structure makes more sense. That way we'll be in tune with what our readers are experiencing and doing every day. Um, and so, you know, it was sort of two separate decisions. How do we grow? and what status do we want to have? Um, and we examined it pretty closely and decided nonprofit status was right for us. So now we have the IRS examining our request to become a charity. So we are not officially that yet. We are in that waiting period. All right. You're not just going to be attuned to what nonprofits are going through day to day. You're going to be enjoying, it. <laughs> and, and enjoying it and suffering it with them. Exactly. I mean, so... There's going to come a day when there's going to be a, a, a donate now button on the Chronicle of Philanthropy website. We haven't decided what we're doing about that piece of it, okay. um, but Details right now we're raising money from foundations mostly. Foundations. Okay, sure. 
Um, and you are going to be executive director of the new, the new nonprofit yes. entity. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Okay. How does that coincide with being editor of the, the Chronicle? Yeah. So we'll be hiring an editor to take my place. Um, and obviously I'll be working really closely with that person. Um, but we need to make sure that we have somebody else who is day to day thinking about our coverage, um, so that I can do all of the things that the nonprofit needs to make sure we run well and do things and, you know, develop these other partnerships. So I'll be doing a lot of other things other than editing every day. Interesting. Oh, so that's a huge transition for you. Obviously. It is. It is. You're going to be a nonprofit executive director. Exactly. Learn Learning how to do it. And one of the things I realized, given the nature of our coverage, while we do a lot of advice, we also cover a lot of the ways in which things go wrong with boards and executive directors and those kinds of things. And so now I'm really putting my attention on what makes things go right um, and realizing I need to learn a lot more about that. Uh, I see a stack of books. That is a stack of books about nonprofit management. No, I don't know. All right. Um, they need to be. That will be my summer reading for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, so you're you're committed to increasing collaborations, increasing staff. You know, I think listeners are are very interested in what this significant transition means for them as as readers, as consumers yes. of your content. So yep. what what do you see around these collaborations, these staff increases? Yeah, I would say for nonprofit professionals, there are several things that are important about what we'll be able to do. Um, One is that we know we need to provide more tailored information depending on what job you have, what size your organization is. And we have been doing a fair amount of research, um, some of it got interrupted by the pandemic, to better understand what our audience needs, and especially as the field is changing. Um, So one of the things we want to do is provide much more tailored information. So, you know, newsletters that are geared to the kind of job, the kind of organization, um, making it easier on our website to find things, our webinars, you know, that you can decide whether you need an advanced level webinar or a beginner level webinar. We have people at all stages um, and their organizations are of all sizes. We, you know, provide information to one person organizations and to organizations that are as big as Harvard, the Nature Conservancy, those kinds of organizations. So we need to serve everybody according to their own needs. So our growth is going to be geared at, you know, making sure that when you have a need, you can turn to the Chronicle of Philanthropy and we will be better able to serve you rather than right now, we're a bit of a one size fits all kind of um, publication. And we know that needs to change. The other thing we're really looking at is how do we make sure that we reach the next generation of nonprofit professionals? A lot of people who have grown up with the Chronicle, um, we deeply appreciate, but we necess- we need to expand out to all the people who are coming into the field. That probably means more video, more audio, podcasts, yay, um, that will all come right. back into doing things. So as we staff up, we plan on expanding the skills that we have and the range of ways that we can reach people. One of the things that has just been enormously popular, especially during the pandemic, are our live briefings um, that are freely available, gathering experts to talk about really important topics. Um, And we've been just delighted by the response to those. It's a very easy way for people in one hour to get a lot they know on a specific topic. So we'll probably expand those kinds of things too. So people shouldn't think of us as just this old fashioned print pot 
publication, we're not that anymore. Um, but we're going to be even less of that, I would say, in the days to come. So you, you see greater investment opportunities than than you saw uh, as uh, a, a part of being owned by the, the chronicle of uh, higher education. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The- I mean, part of it was just the capabilities that we had within being within that organization. We're one sixth the size of the chronicle of higher education. So that just meant that we couldn't grow as much as we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the this is a very friendly separation. The chronicle of higher education knew that we needed to grow and basically encourage this because it was the only way that we would be able to serve our audience well. And one of the things we found, uh, you know, a lot of our readers are in higher education and that's, it's so natural that the Chronicle of Higher Education spawned the Chronicle of Philanthropy, but colleges and universities are now very different than not many nonprofits. And so the things that we used to have in common about serving our audiences, we don't find those are the case as much. And sometimes they're so different that, you know, if we do something that the Chronicle of Higher Education does and we try it with our audience, it just falls flat um, and vice versa. So that's one of the reasons we decided that it's better for us to each go independent. You know, I've been seeing for years the decline in, in nonprofit coverage. I mean, yes. I, so I, I, you know, I remember when Stephanie Strom had yes. the nonprofit beat at the New York Times, and I think it was Melanie West had Donor of the Day in, in the in yes. the, uh, at the in the Wall Street Journal. Yep. I mean, there were there were there were nonprofit beat reporters, and I don't know of one now any anymore. Well, now there is. This is interesting, actually. I mean, the Times has David Fahrenhold, who's covering nonprofit fraud. And you have okay. Nick Coolish, who is covering billionaire philanthropy. And those are the two areas that the Times has said is what it needs to cover. And that's yeah. interesting to vote <laughs> on the things that matter most. So in fraud some and, ways, fraud well, and we did not know that when, you know, we decided to go ahead. We started our planning long before those appointments were put in place. But I feel like that's a call to action of all the other things that news outlets need to cover. And especially one of the things we're very excited about is working with all of these nonprofit news organizations that are sprouting up to cover either specific communities or look at specific issues. The Marshall Project, you know, looks at criminal justice, for example, Chalkbeat looks at education. Um, There are all of these nonprofits, you know, that are just starting to figure out what their coverage areas are. And we want to make sure that they embed coverage of nonprofits as part of what they do all day. So that's where we'll be working most closely. Interesting. So you mentioned even on the local level. So, yes, definitely. You know, m- much more local than like a ProPublica or Center for Investigative yeah. Journalism. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, ProPublica has done a lot to go local as well. And so we're following what they're doing in terms of some of that. But, you know, philanthropy is so local um, and that's where people really need to understand these yeah. things. Um, yeah. And so that's why we, we would like to work there. Um, you know, we will work nationally, too. Um, but one of the things that we started last year um, is a fellowship program. Program for local journalists. And so we have four fellows that are working on various projects. We're teaching them how to cover philanthropy in their communities. So there's a nonprofit news organization in Boulder that's looking at 
all the money that came in after the wildfires there to the community foundation and asking questions like, how do, who decides how that gets spent? Where does it go? How do they raise money? What do they do? And it's an unprecedented sum for that community foundation to have that float in because it was the nature of the disaster was so intense. But we were really excited that they had a pitch where they actually knew what community foundations were. They wanted to explain, you know, that this is how it works um, and investigate that sort of thing. So we hope that assuming, you know, these fellowships go well, we're in the early stages of it, but then we'll do a lot more of that where we work intensively with local organizations. Today in journalism, there are a lot of these one-off seminars on nonprofits. Some of your listeners may have been asked to speak at those things where, they, you know, an hour on what makes nonprofits important or something like that. Well, that doesn't have a really long-lasting effect in changing the coverage. Um, and we're hopeful that by spending an entire year with these news outlets, that that will make them decide this is important and this kind of coverage needs to continue. And we hope that it will be more sophisticated coverage than we've all been used to seeing. I think, you know, I, I know the number of nonprofits that send me notes every once in a while and say, can you believe this um, news organization said X or Y or Z? And they clearly don't understand how nonprofits work. And so we want to do something to change that. All right. I'm still bothered by the fact that the New York Times hyphenates fundraising. <laughs> uh, please. I mean, and we, file, we follow New York Times style. So I get the angry letters about their style all the time. <laughs> all right. It's time for a break. The only one of the show. Turn to communications. Have you got your crisis communications plan in place so that you know who's responsible for message creation? Is it the one person or is it a couple of folks, a committee who needs to approve that messaging? Who's authorized to speak on behalf of your nonprofit? Who's going to brief internally? And who's going to brief external audiences? There's more to a crisis communications plan than that. Turn two knows what all belongs in there, and they can help you create yours so that you're ready when the crisis comes. Turn two communications, turn hyphen two.co. Fourth dimension technologies. Their IT solution is IT infra in a box. It's budget-friendly. It's holistic. You pick what you need and you leave the rest behind. That makes it your IT buffet. But why is this a budget-friendly buffet? Because you pick only what you can afford from the buffet. Selections. Your budget can't afford shrimp and lobster? Have the tuna salad. No rack of lamb? Just get the mint jelly. Choose what's right for your IT situation and your budget. Fourth Dimension Technologies, Tony.ma slash 4D. Just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. It's time for Tony's Take 2. This is show number 597. Woo! <laughs> but don't celebrate. Because the big celebration is coming in just a few weeks, three weeks to be exact, because that's when the 600th show is coming out on July 18th. Of course, we've got the live music coming from Scott Stein. You got to have that with the, the live playing of uh, Cheap Red Wine and a couple of other songs that he will do for us. Naturally, the co-host for every milestone show, Claire Meyerhoff, she will be with me. 
We've got our esteemed contributors, Amy Sample Ward and Gene Takagi. They'll be with us as well. The sponsors are coming. Sponsors, Turn 2 Communications, 4D Technology, they're all going to be with us. So it's the blowout show coming in just a couple of weeks, three weeks to be exact, the 600th. It's on its way. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku, but loads more time for The Chronicle of Philanthropy Will Go Nonprofit with Stacy Palmer. We've got the Buku because I grouped the sponsor messages and the Tony's Take Two together. You see how it's all structured for your benefit so we can do the Buku. It's, it's hard. I feel bad when it's just a, just, just a buttload. When you've got the Buku buttloads, then you know you're set. I mean, I mean, that's the shit when you got the Buku. So that's where we are. You, you have, you're doing something now with the, uh, so th- thinking nationally now yeah. with uh, Associated Press. Yes. You have a partnership yes. with them. What's that about? Yes. So the Lilly Endowment made a very generous grant to our organization, Associated Press, and a group called The Conversation, which does terrific work to get um, scholarly articles out to the public in very accessible ways. So we're all working together to put the spotlight on philanthropy. So the Associated Press hired two reporters um, who are now covering philanthropy. We've hired three reporters who, and so as part of a collaboration, we work together um, to provide more coverage that's aimed at the general public. You know, a lot of these stories appear for our readers, but, you know, when we, when those reporters are looking at it, they're saying, what's of interest to local news organizations? What's going to cause um, a local outlet to republish this kind of thing? And really the Associated Press obviously is global. Um, So what's of interest to them? So the fact that we have now added five reporters focused on helping the general public understand philanthropy, it's just enormous. I mean, what we were just talking about before is how the coverage has dropped so much. Um, and the fact that now we have people paying attention to this all the time is just fabulous. Our articles appear on the Associated Press feed. We publish some of the Associated Press articles. And we we're working on some ambitious projects together. One area that we're looking in, especially right now, is gun violence. And we started this, you know, long before Uvalde and Buffalo, um, to put the spotlight on what philanthropy and what nonprofits are doing to curb gun violence. And so you'll see a lot of stories going in depth on that topic over the next year. You uh, you promised to build a, a public commons. For debate. Yes. How can people, what does that look like? I I would love to hear from listeners um, what they would like to see in that. We're in the earliest stages of developing that. Mm -hmm. But I would say, you know, as especially when I talk to funders, the thing that bothers them most and that they're working on and that they want to solve and they would like us to be a part of it is bringing together the polarized sides in philanthropy itself. I mean, obviously they're working to bridge the divides in the country, um, but philanthropy has a lot of challenges talking to itself, um, lifting up voices that often aren't heard. Um, Conservatives often feel that their ideas are run over by progressive philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's great concern that there's not enough attention to rural voices, to people of color, to younger voices. There are just so many 
challenges of getting people to express their views, to hear each other, to do well-reasoned essays, to debate each other, um, and to figure out where they have common bonds, which they have a lot more of than they realize. Um, but our work is going to be to help people overcome that. Um, and also, you know, we plan to cover that area too. What are the nonprofits and foundation efforts that are successfully bridging divides? So there'll be, you know, a multi-pronged effort on that, but we really would love to hear from as many people as possible about what, what gaps they see that we can fill. We don't want to duplicate what other people are doing. Um, you know, we should be additive. So whatever we can do on that front, we'd love to do. Gosh, I, I hear a lot of opportunities for podcasts since you mentioned yes. it. And that's, that, that, that's, that's a rich one, I think. Yeah. It um, absolutely is. <gasps> more live events. You you, uh, you anticipate more of those. You you they've been well reviewed. Your I know your webinars do well. Our webinars are you know our webinars are geared at professional development um, yeah. and very very well attended. Um, and you know we bring in you know we work hard to get experts who you know know what they're talking about can give real great case studies and examples and help you know help people understand what it is that they need to do in an area maybe that they're not familiar with. Um, so those are very popular. And then the live briefings are a little bit different um, in that there'll be a topic, you know, one of the ones we've got coming up um, focuses on a new report that's come out um, about how to reach diverse donors. And we'll be spotlighting some of that research, for example. So there are a lot of different opportunities. I don't know whether we're getting to the point where we're going to be able to return to in-person events. We hope so at some point. Um, we've got some inquiries from folks that want to do some things in the fall. I, I just don't know health-wise whether that's going to be a safe thing to do. Um, so we expect to be virtual for a while, but um, we definitely do a lot live. And this partnership that I mentioned with Associated Press and the Conversation, a component of that also is live online briefings. So, you know, we've done a number of different topics. We'll be getting into climate philanthropy. We'll do something on the gun violence package I mentioned. Um, we did, you know, as soon as the Ukraine war erupted, we did something to help people think about both the short-term and the long-term aspects of giving because we didn't want to have, you know, there was such a rush to give, which is wonderful, but we know in all disasters, you need to think about the long-term. And so we gathered some experts who could talk about why it's smart to start thinking about that now. So, you know, I'm hearing uh, coverage and professional development expansion of the, the uh, expansion of the work for the nonprofit community, but also, you know, in these partnerships and the fellowships, you know, expanding coverage uh, about the nonprofit community to the, to the general readership. Exactly. And obviously for nonprofits, that's usually important because they aren't getting the attention yeah. or understanding they deserve. So while, you know, you can talk about those things being different, they sort of are a version of the same thing is we see it as an extension of how do we better serve nonprofits? We help get their stories out. And one of the things I think the Chronicle has always been very good at doing is helping nonprofits tell their story. Um, I wish nonprofits invested more in being able to do that themselves. I hope maybe we can help them in more ambitious ways than we do now. Um, but a lot of times 
when a Chronicle reporter contacts a nonprofit, it's the first time that they've had a chance to gather the photos, to get the examples, to get the data and the evidence that they need Mm -hmm. to show why what they're doing is super effective and worth other people knowing about. That often then allows them to take the story to their donors, to other people, to know about them. Um, and so, you know, I think the more we can do of that to help get the word out about what nonprofits are accomplishing, get people engaged in that, um, we hope that that helps it's another part of the democracy and divide building, you know, is that if people knew that nonprofits are solving more problems, we hope that that allows the nonprofits themselves to be more effective. You've got some ambitious goals that you published, uh, double revenue and subscribers in five years. Yep. Okay. Yep. We expect to be able to do that in part because what we'll be investing in is a staff that spends all of its time thinking about those things. Right now, we don't have that. Um, And so, you know, once we add more people who focus both on our business and technology, we think it will be pretty easy for us to expand our revenue. We're very excited that we have strong foundation support, but we want to make sure that we're earning our own way um, and that we're sustainable and have very diverse revenue sources. Um, And so that's what we'll be working on building, like every good nonprofit needs to do. (gasps) And then right on the heels of that comes the conversation about transparency and the separation between uh, fundraising and, and exactly. editorial. So why don't you reassure yeah. folks? Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> I thank you for raising that. What's part of what we'll be working on really intensively over the next few months before we become a nonprofit um, is to strengthen some of the guidelines that we have now that we use when we're accepting gifts and disclosing. Right now, we're very good about that. We, we receive a very small amount of foundation support right now. We're grateful for all of it and we always disclose it, but we want to be more transparent about how we make decisions about stories. Some foundations have asked me questions about like, if they're supporting us, can they still pitch stories to us? Um, You know, and how do we handle that? We probably will do webinars and other sessions where readers can ask us questions about our coverage and make sure that if they see anything that bothers them, they can let us know. Um, I think, you know, We've had nearly 35 years of publishing in this field. I think our integrity is pretty strong, but we want to make sure that we keep it that way and that there's no perception of any influence. And one of the things I've loved in the conversations I've had with foundations seeking their support is how conscious they are that they in no way want there to be any perception that they're influencing our coverage. And, you know, a few foundations, if they said no to us, it was out of that concern that they think that it's impossible to help you know, that perception is going to be a problem and they didn't necessarily want to be part of that. And I really respect that. Is it, is it much different than the separation between advertising and editorial? Glad you asked that. No, it's not. We've always had to be conscious of, you know, influences, you know, a lot of our advertisers provide services to the nonprofit field or there are foundations that want to, you know, talk about a specific project, you know, and they're doing it with their advertising dollars. Um, So it's not different. You know, the other thing, people often get in a nod about advertisers or foundation support. If we alienate our readers, our subscriber revenue is hugely important and the fees that webinar provide, you know, each person is individually paying a subscription and it may not feel like a huge amount of money, but it adds up to being a significant 
source of our support and the reason for our being. So if we do anything that tarnishes that, we are in trouble. So that's who we put first is our readers um, and thinking about their needs. And I have found that, you know, as we've been going into this nonprofit work, I have become much, much more aware of the challenges that nonprofits face. I mean, I knew it from our coverage, but, you know, I do, I already feel living it every day. Um, I understand much better what challenges they face. And I think that will be a good thing for all of, all of my, all of the audience and for all of our staff, which will get to know that more. Transparency is something that is very different than the private company we've worked for. So, you know, we're excited about, you know, really, you know, show, doing our first 990, making sure that it's clear, doing annual reports, all the kinds of things that we haven't done before. Um, but we know that we need to meet the highest bar in terms of transparency. So we'll be looking at that. And I hope others will hold us accountable for some reason. We fall short, but we're going to try to do our best not to. <gasps> What's on your mind as you're uh, and, 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 uh, an imminent executive director? You know what? What kinds of you know what? What's keeping you awake? What are you thinking about? Oh, all of the things related to the transition. Um, as you can imagine, it's there's just a lot of work to make sure that we do this really well, um, and that my staff is really excited about what we're doing. So you know, the next thing we're doing um, is you know really sort of outlining our values as a team because we will have this new organization that we can build. Um, right now, we follow what the Chronicle of Higher Education does. Now we get to say mm-hmm. what happens when we build our own culture and our own organization and how do we do that well? Um, So, you know, it's pretty thrilling to be able to reinvent an organization that's as old as ours is. Um, We've got the strong backing of the Chronicle and the organization that we have, but we are reimagining almost everything. And, And that's just the most thrilling thing possible, but it is scary. And when you say what keeps me up at night, it's like, which piece will we get to first? We have a lot to do. We have an ambitious agenda. Um, and how do we make sure that goes well? You already have your board. Uh, you have a core. You have we a have core, a core board. board. We'll be core expanding board. the board yeah. when when we actually get charity status from the IRS. We'll expand the board. But we have four independent board members now. Um, and then two people from the Chronicle of Higher Education are also on the board. So that part we've done and we'll be expanding later. What would you like to leave listeners with? Stacey? Um, I, I, I really welcome all the suggestions about how we can serve the field better and what this transition means. If you had a chance to say what the Chronicle needs to do more as we grow, we want to hear from our audience about what's most important, what do you need most, um, and what can we do for you. So please um, feel free to drop me a line. I'm stacy.palmer at philanthropy.com. I don't always answer as fast as I'd like to, as Tony learned setting up this <laughs> podcast, um, but I do read my mail pretty carefully. And I really would, we'll probably do some sessions to actually, you know, webinars or other things to open it up to readers, but feel free to drop me a line anytime. I, I truly love to hear from people about what we can do to serve you better. All right. And again, stacy.palmer at philanthropy.com. Exactly. All right, stacy.palmer. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. All right. It my was pleasure. a delight to be with you. Thanks very much. Next week, the future of fundraising. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co and by Fourth Dimension Technologies. 
IT Infra in a Box, the affordable tech solution for nonprofits. Tony.ma slash 4D, just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>